All right. Hey, if you um, are remaining, that means you're not a kid, and you're not going to be in uh, church, children's church this morning. Uh, go ahead and pull out your bulletin notes. Uh, that'd be a good place to start. And um, you can have your Bible at the ready. We're not going to get to it uh, just yet, but I'll let you know and keep you posted. Uh, I do want to welcome you back. If you've been traveling and uh, been on the road somewhere, uh, it's good to have you. Good to have you back. Um, I think we still have some people that are out and about and all that stuff, but um, it does feel like we're kind of back in a little bit of routine. Um, I want to say before we kind of get into what I prepared uh, this morning is in terms of the direction we're going, um, is that I'm just uh, I'm really proud of this church. Everywhere I go, people ask me this. They say, um, hey, how's NBC going? People who've heard about it, been a part of getting things started, praying for it, whatever else. Um, and I usually give some responses. And it's one of those things where a lot of times I tell other people about um, some of the ways I'm just really excited about what's going on here. And maybe I don't share that enough with us as a church family. So let me just roll through kind of broad brushstrokes some things that I'm excited about and that I share with people when they ask how NBC's going. Um, one is this, the idea of striving to work out your salvation. I feel like people are just doing that here. Now, that, that encompasses a lot of different conversations and kinds of things that I observe going on and many things that I don't observe, but I know are happening. And just this sense that you're striving to work out your salvation. What that means is you're not showing up at church. You're not just getting kind of a pep talk from a pastor up here. Get a good little burst of Christian music in you and then go about your week the rest of the, the rest of the time without the Lord in your life. You really are seeking to work out your salvation. That excites me. Here's another thing is I feel like this church, um, by and large, we're people that rely on God. We don't rely on mankind. Again, you don't rely on me and say, Dave, I need you to fix my problems. I need you to. Now, part of it is I don't allow you to do that. You come and do that to me. I'm going to say, if you're not a Christian, you need to become a Christian. You need the, the light of the Holy Spirit in you guiding. I can't possibly guide you this whole week. So I won't let you do that. But part of that is your own growth is dictating that says, I need to lean on the Lord, not on myself, not self-reliant and not man-reliant. And that excites me so much. When people come to me and they bring book titles that are really challenging them, I love to engage with that and say, what's God teaching you? There's a ton of great Christian literature out there. But I also have a follow-up question. Where are you reading in the scriptures right now? What is God teaching you from the Bible? And so many people have an answer for that. They say, well, let me tell you also where I'm reading. And if it's ever just on Christian literature, I will challenge you back to the Scriptures. Read a lot more of the Scripture than you do other books. Read other Christian books. I'm always reading about six books. I always have about six books on my bookshelf that I'm reading or on my iPhone that doesn't consist of the Bible. But in general, I'm trying to read about two-thirds of my time spent in the book and maybe a third, maybe a quarter in outside Christian literature. You guys are doing that. I love hearing from you of where God is teaching you from the scriptures. Thirdly, just reports of the gospel bearing fruit. The idea of service and generosity and passion. And how come we can't be doing this? You know what I love? It's not just our young people. Young people, part of why I love college ministry so much, is college students get it sometimes. They just look at it. They don't always follow through all the, all, all the way the best. That's why it's called, give it the old college try. That means you kind of have the good gumption and you don't always follow through. But college students get it. They're always questioning, how come we're not doing this? Doesn't the Bible say we should be concerned about that? How come we're not? And I love that. I love to unleash that. What's cool is that we have a congregation that that's not limited to an age group. There's not just some young people around here, but our young people are passionate and fired up. That gets me really excited. Um, I got a chance last week to visit um, our children's ministry, which I get to do maybe twice a year. Um, so I got to sit in on a small group and just be part of our children's ministry last week while Rich preached up here. And a huge um, grateful moment was just to be uh, on my desk. Not on my desk. I sit at my desk. I don't sit on it. I sat at my desk on Monday morning and I found a stack of talent surveys from last week. And as I flipped through these talent surveys, I could envision each one of your minds that filled these out. And you know, you know the percentage of people? Now, mind you, Rich took time in the service to do it, which was a great way to, to get a lot of response. But we had at least 80% of you filling out talent surveys. The talent survey just said, I want to be called to meet physical, practical, tangible needs. That means we're not a church that's just interested in kind of being here. But when anything's asked of us, we're like, eh, that's a consumer mentality. And we don't have that here at Neighborhood Bible Church. 
A prayer of mine is that God would guard us from that. We'd have a contributor mentality. And we have that in spades right now by God's grace. Finally, the word faithfulness. Um, Faithfulness is, if you take any character trait, faithfulness is like the uh, offensive lineman of character traits. Okay? Here's what an offensive lineman, it's preseason football season, as some of you well know, uh, maybe more than you should, um, but the offensive lineman, right, you never get any recognition as an offensive lineman unless you did something wrong, right? If you missed a block, then this camera zooms in on your big belly, and you're right there for the whole world to see, this is the guy that missed the block. If you, if you move early, right, they're going to zoom in on you and say, this is the guy who can't hold a stance, And so faithfulness in a church is one of those character traits that you don't notice or think or appreciate or say good job on until it's not there. And let me just tell you, some of the ways God's been faithful, we're going to get a full kind of end of summer financial update next week. Uh, It's a mixed bag review. I'll just give you a little preview of that. But there's some of you that faithfully give your time talent and treasure to this church, and you have been for a long time. You faithfully show up and say, hey, if there's anything that can be done, I want to be called, and I want to be, uh, I want to be on that. That's just an absolute joy as a pastor to, um, to get to see. Write this down, but don't, uh, don't necessarily turn there. Uh, just take my word for it. 1 Peter 5.2 says this. 1 Peter 5.2 instructs me as a pastor, as a shepherd, how I should be shepherding our flock, and it informs those who attend a church If next week God calls you by your job or by some ministry reason off to Florida and you go look for a church, this is the kind of church you ought to be in. You ought to look for how the scripture says that the pastors and leaders should be and you ought to look for leadership that's like this. Ready? Here's 1 Peter 5.2. It says this. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Don't be afraid of leadership. If you get to a church and it says we don't believe in leadership, they don't believe in what the scriptures teach. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. This is your shepherds. This is your pastors. Verse 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd appears. If there's a giant overarching trait that your leadership should have and something I strive to do as a pastor, that is to shepherd with the end in mind. Shepherd the flock of God today with the end in mind. Recognizing that there's one senior pastor of the church that was purchased by God's blood, and that's Jesus. He's called the chief shepherd. So any other shepherd is just an under-shepherd of the chief chief shepherd. Your leaders ought to be great followers. If I'm not following Jesus, the chief shepherd, call me on it, because that's unscriptural. If you want to lead, learn to follow really, really well. That's scriptural. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I strive to pastor this church. I strive to fulfill my vocation, my calling, with the end in mind. And that's kind of where we're going this morning. Um, we have been in a series, for those of you who haven't been with us all summer, uh, we've been in a series actually since January that we've just simply called Demanding. When you walk in the church every week, you've seen a, a rock climber, and he's been climbing this rock, and there's someone on belay behind him. And it's just been this, this metaphor, this kind of visual picture for us of where we're at, that God demands things of his followers, We're not going to shy away from that. We're going to look intently at that and say, what is it that he demands? And that the Christian life is demanding. And throughout this series, I've had many of this. As I'm talking and I say the Christian life is demanding, I have some head nods and some amens, and yes, it is. Those are those of you who are in kind of a valley this week. Sometimes people are like, it is? Those are the new Christians. They don't know yet. But it's it's tough. They're just on the spiritual mountaintop still. That's a great place to be. It's like the honeymoon. Don't miss it but it's not where life is lived all the time. Uh, let me just ask you this. If, if someone says this phrase right here, hey, there's no end in sight, I want to hear from you. What, are, what does that mean when, when, you, when you hear there's no end in sight? What is that kind of vernacular for? We just had some international students that we went and served dinner to a couple, a couple days ago, and one of the things that they miss sometimes are phrases like, it's raining cats and dogs. They're like, where? You know, that's weird. No end in sight it doesn't necessarily mean the literal words. What does that kind of mean? What does that bring up? What images? Yeah. 
Okay, it's just kind of keep stretching out. What else? It's going to be a while. What else? Hopeless, yeah. Okay? It's a long journey, okay? Cyclist John, who rides more than 100 miles at a time, he gets that. Let me ask you this. Um, when someone says this, there's no end in sight. What are they feeling? What are, the, what are the emotions that get stirred up in someone when they're saying that usually? Dale? What? Despair. Okay, yeah, what else? Overwhelmed. Discouraged. Fatigued. Frustration. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you ever known a Christian who's lived in a prolonged state of there's no end in sight? Let me ask you a follow-up question. Have you ever been that Christian who's lived or is in right now a period of there is no end in sight? Um, Because we haven't arrived, I started this morning saying how proud I am of you. I'm going to still encourage you. There's work to be done. Uh, there's, there's, there's more to continue. So we're going to press on. I'm going to continue to exhort us to keep going. But let me say this, that while I sympathize with someone, and I've been there, that feels like there's no end in sight, it really is like antithetical to a Christian to, to say that and be a Christian and know what you know. And this morning, here's what I want to do. Of all the demands that we've had, and there's been uh, around 23 of them, a couple we doubled up on, so maybe like 20. On your website, by the way, is a list of the demanding memory verses. That is a great place to meditate and keep recycling. What I don't want to do is go from series to series to series, book after book of the Bible that we teach, and we're not doing anything about it. We had to stop and meditate on what we hear from and, and learn in, in the scriptures before just rushing off to the next thing. And that's why we're taking an entire week just to kind of wrap up this series that we're calling Demanding. But what I want to do this morning is this. I want to, I want to think about the end. I want to keep our eyes focused on the end as we're in the midst of this demanding journey. Now, the end in sight... Um, may have a couple of things. No end in sight gives one connotation. The fact that the end is in sight may have a couple of meanings. Let me throw a couple out to you. One, it may mean that you're dying, right? If you're dying and you're laying on your deathbed and you know it, there's a sense that you go, man, the end is in sight. I mean, I realize that. I'm recognizing that. Uh, I went to a funeral this last week. I got to do a funeral, not to do it, I was at a funeral and did a wedding in the same span of a few days. And that's the life of a pastor. You kind of get to see both ends of it. If I got the hat trick, it'd be a, a, a birth of someone. So if you guys would get busy, we could do that too. It would have been really sweet. Um, here's, the, here's another way it could mean. It could mean that you're on your deathbed and you're, and you're dying and you see the end in sight. But it could mean this. It could mean you're very much alive in body and in spirit. And you recognize that time is short. You recognize that all around you, we're in decay. We're, we're dying. You have a sense of your, of your dyingness in the midst of being very much alive and very much healthy. Um, this, uh, this last Tuesday, I was walking amongst tombstones at the graveside part of this. This was uh, a, a, a close family friend of ours that, that passed away, and uh, she was a godly woman. And we got to go there and celebrate her ending of this portion of life and entering on into new life. And as I walked amongst tombstones, I saw many tombstones that were right around my year of birth, 1971. And that's pretty sobering to see that. It's also very sobering to see ones that were my son's age, 1998. And what it is, is here lies such and such. And you know what I saw? It's several tombstones. It was a Tuesday, so maybe they were left over from the weekend, where some flowers that were just kind of wilted. And as I walked around those tombstones, I thought about this. Isn't it a joy to know that Jenny Van Solt, who's now in glory with her Savior, to know that her everlasting life started long ago? And, and it's just a continuation. We don't get to see her anymore, but we will one day if we have the same hope that she has. And as I walked around those tombstones, I I was very much made aware of the fact that we're all in decay. If you see the life cycle of a flower, you get to see our life cycle from God's perspective a little bit, don't we? A flower grows up, it buds, it lives, it's really shining in glory, and then it's cut off and it's dead. The grass withers and its flower fades, the Bible says. The Word of God stands forever. We're going to talk about the promises of God this morning that do not change. We sung about them. 
We, we call on you, God, to remember your promise. That's what you say when the road seems endless. You think about the end. Uh, Jenny Van Salt, who passed away, used to wear this name tag, her pastor said. And her name tag said this. I love this. The best is yet to come. Isn't that precious? I mean, living with the end in mind. Living with the fact that you may have gotten rewarded with a bonus at work this week. Yippee. I mean, cool, right? That's a good, that's good news. We don't have to be super spiritual and go, well, it's nothing. It's something. If it's nothing, just give it to me. <laughs> I mean, it is something, right? But, but winning an iPod touch in a contest, I mean, big whoop, really. Honestly. It's gonna break. At some point, it's gonna disappoint you. I mean, live with the end in mind. Get really excited about the most important things. The best is yet to come. 2 Timothy 4, 6. I mean, these are the scriptures that, that kind of came to mind as I was, as I was thinking about that. The, their, their pastor said that she wore this. And I thought of 2 Timothy 4, 6. The time has come. This is Paul writing to his young protege. He knew the end of his life was coming. He said this, the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. Get excited about that, church. Get excited that your name is written for eternity in the book of life. And that there's a crown of righteousness awaiting you. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, catch this, but also all who have longed for his appearing. When this life is demanding, are you longing for His appearing? Are you trying to haste the day of His arrival? That's, that's a little bit easier than this. When life is going wonderful for you, and work's clicking, relationships are clicking, your health is clicking, do you long for and hasten and pray for the arrival of Jesus Christ to set things aright? Or do we get sucked into this life? That's the more challenging one. Psalm 90.12 is just an amazing exhortation. It says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. This morning is going to be about teaching us to number our days. Living with a sense of urgency. Can I challenge you this, this, uh, this year? Attend more funerals. My wife and I uh, had to kind of bend over backwards to, to get there to this funeral. It was a couple hours away. Some friends of ours stepped up. My wife kept saying this. She could joke about this because she knew where Jenny Van Solt was, but she said, hey, you only die once. Let's get there. She's right. It was very worth it to get there and to celebrate this life. And when you go to a memorial, when you go to a funeral, you're reminded of how precious and fleeting life is. You drive a little bit slower. You don't risk it all on stupid things of, 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 of less importance. You hug your family tighter and longer. You pray with a deeper sense of, of God's perspective on things than just the here and now. Man, in five minutes, I probably won't even remember this. In two years, I guarantee you I won't remember this. And it's causing me an ulcer right now. Something's amiss. Lord, teach me to number my days that I may get a heart of wisdom. Let me give you just three things, okay? They're, they're really, really simple and basic. And if you're following along, write this down. If you have ADD, take good notes. That's a way to stay in, in track, okay? Write this down. Decide who you are following. Decide who you are following. First uh, Kings 18.20. I don't think I put it in your notes, but I'm going to put it on the screen for you. It's in your notes. Okay, look at this. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two differing, two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal, but if Baal, then follow him. Don't you just get this sense? Elijah the prophet comes along and says, Quit being wishy-washy. If God's God and who he says he is, say this politically correct wise, pipe down and follow him. If not, make your decision. Follow Baal. Go test it out. That's what pastors want to say to their congregation a lot of times. People come in and they want all of the world and they want all of God. And I point back to the age of 17. I say, I'm not any smarter than you are, but God chose to reveal me at age 17. Quit sitting on the fence. You're not getting the best of either one. 
Choose the world and go after it. And you better get everything you can get out of it. Because that's it. 70 years is all you got if you're fortunate. But if the Lord is God, leave it behind and run hard after Him. Decide who you are following. Some within the sound of my voice are probably self-reliant. At the end of the day, they are self-reliant. So it all stems on, on you bettering yourself. And leaning on your own judgment at the end of the day. You'll seek wise counsel. You'll even do it in a Christian context. Asking for prayer. Praying to God. This and that. But at the end of the day, you're in charge. You're the boss. You're self-reliant. Some, within the sound of my voice, are probably reliant on under, uh, other people. You have no confidence in yourself. But you have a lot of confidence in what your peers say and think and do. And you hope they're making good choices. Because you're following right along. Your God is whoever you're following. If the Lord is God, follow Him. Decide who you are following. It's really, really simple. That's why we started this series. Remember what we started this series with? We started with, you must be born again. Without the new birth, without a new created heart, it's only gifted by God. You had nothing to do with your spiritual birth. You get to partner with God on your new birth, but it's wholly dependent on Him. To open your eyes and see a need and have the gospel make sense. None of this is not only possible, it's not even understood. To try to understand any of the rest of the demands without being born again is nonsense to you. At the absolute worst, it leads to to neo-Phariseeism, which is where you're trying to earn your way to God. Which is utterly impossible and preposterous. Otherwise, you'll just dismiss it as... You can't tell me what to do. And if I come back with, look, I'm not telling you, I'm just preaching the Word of God, it's God. Well, God can't tell me what to do. You know what does that? The heart of flesh that we're all born with. I am my own boss, and I resist anyone telling me what to do. You've been there, or you are there, and you know of people who are there. Some of you have kids. You've seen that. Um, However... Once this new birth happens to you, something unexplainable goes on. And it's unexplainable, yet you'll spend the rest of your life trying to explain it and trying to to spit it out to people. This transformation that's gone on. And you're just sharing this good news that's gone on in this song that we sing where it says that, that we're no longer bound by these chains and that the mercies of God are just huge. You sing these from your gut because they're just a, a deep reality in your life. And you'll spend the rest of your life trying to find metaphors and words to explain this to people who, have, who haven't had this new birth. But once you've had it, you know. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way, that the old is gone and the new has come. One of the other demands that we looked at was, was just simply to believe. And uh, the heart of flesh is going to say they believe, uh, but their actions are going to dictate what they really believe. Right? Um, those, those whose hearts are completely his uh, are, are born again. They're actually given the capacity to believe. So there's no pride in our own selves saying, look at me, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm one of great faith. That's just a gift of God. That's all that is. No pride in yourself. God gets the glory. God's the hero in our life story. But belief has shown up by our footsteps. People might say, man, NBC is a great church. I love coming to church on Sunday. You, you know what the real test is, don't you? They vote with their feet. They're, they're here or they're not. Man, I love to read God's Word. It's just so great to have a quiet time and really get there. You vote with your feet. You basically, you do that or you don't. I believe that such and such is right or wrong. You vote by your actions and what you really put your energies into. It's the same for all of us, whether we're talking about spiritual things or not. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a great passage that many of us uh, may have memorized as a kid. or I had this written in my Bible. One of the first Bibles I got, my parents wrote this verse and put it, put it in the front of my Bible, so it was always there. But it says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's what we all used to do. That's what our heart is born to do, is lean on our own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Decide who you're following, your own understanding or God's. If the Lord your God, then follow. 
But if Baal, then follow. But quit being wishy-washy between these two ideas. A divided heart is a little bit like a divided kingdom, which is a little bit like a divided company or a divided household. You know what divided things do? They break. First they flounder for a season, and then they break apart. A divided heart is a broken heart. It's not been made whole. Um, One of the things that uh, I share with you, I just came off of a wedding last Saturday, and um, two just very dear friends of mine that I had known from the time they were they were pretty young. And here God had united their stories together and they had committed to covenant before God and make vows. And one of the things I say at a wedding is this. While we're all witnesses, primarily these vows are between you and the Lord. That's what the wedding covenant is all about. And one of the things about a, a wedding vow is this. It's so easy to have it roll off of our tongues. It's so simple and easy to say for better for worse, in sickness and in health, richer, poorer, pretty, ugly, nice, mean, patient, unkind. I mean, we could go on and on with this. The vows could be like two hours long. We could just keep painting the story, right? But we could say that pretty easy. It rolls off the tongue pretty easily. But the reality is that in a way, nothing's easier than saying vows in front of people when you're kind of supposed to and whatever else. And sometimes nothing's harder than living those vows out every single day of the rest of your life and choosing to be married tomorrow and the next day and the next week. Choosing to be a Christian is demanding in the sense of this. You must wake up and choose this morning to receive the, the, the mercies of God which are unlimited. You must choose this morning when you woke up to follow the Lord your God. Decide who you'll follow. Some of the uh, demands that kind of tied into this were believe in me, be sanctified, put on the new man, and abide. Not only must we decide who to follow, but we must follow wholeheartedly. Follow wholeheartedly. Jesus offered, remember this, this simple command. The very first command was, was like an invitation, but it was a statement too, and it was this. Ready? Two words. Follow me. That's it. And if you want to kind of sum up everything, Jesus did it pretty succinctly with love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor as yourself. On this rest all the commands and all the prophets. Boil it down even further and you could also just say follow me. Jesus was saying so much to a tax collector who was about ready to leave his job to go follow this rabbi by saying follow me. At the very end of his ministry... He looks to one of his disciples who's kind of griping about some different things and he says, what is that to you? You follow me. You know what his disciples did? They followed him to their death. They not only followed him physically on earth, but after he departed, they followed in his ways. They walked in his ways wholeheartedly such that their very lives mimicked the life of their Savior. That is, they gave their life for the truth of the gospel. They became the seed that kind of died in the ground so that new life could spring up. And we're that new life. We're the church 2,000 years later. Unbelievable. You know what's powerful? The same simple invitation goes out to you and I. I don't care if you've never heard the gospel before and you don't know what it is to follow Jesus Christ. That same simple word goes out from Jesus. Follow me. What? Where Where are we going? How does this work? You get up out of your tax collector booth and you get going and you figure it out. You're in a great place to find that out. Some of you have heard this command and preached this command. We still need to hear this. Look, what is that to you? What concern is that to you that that's going on at work, that that disciple's going going this way or that way? You follow me. You just follow me. We have a little saying that I grew up with in our household and you tend to say some of the same things your parents say. Worry about yourself. Right? The more children you have, the more there are people to worry about. And the more parents spring up. You get to be a parent one day, but right now, you have plenty to work on. You just keep working on yourself. Can we agree to that? That's really, really sound advice. Look, you just follow me. And you do it wholeheartedly. 1 Kings 8.56. Is that in your notes? No? It was long. Here it goes. Listen. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to His people, Israel, according to all that He has promised. There's that idea again of promise. 
Not one word has failed of all his good promises, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us or forsake us, that he may incline our hearts to him. Who's doing the inclining? God is. That he may incline our hearts to him. God, would you draw our sons and our daughters back into the home? Would you draw our wayward hearts back into you? Let it be a work of you start to finish. That he may incline our hearts to him. To walk in all his ways, catch this, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his rules. Those are the demands we're talking about. Which he commanded to our fathers. Let these words of mine, which I have pleaded before the Lord, be near, um, be near to the Lord our God day and night. And may he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day requires that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is no other. Let your hearts, therefore, catch this, be wholly true to the Lord our God. Walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments as at this day. You can follow wholeheartedly because of the following bullet points. Ready? Here they are. Rapid fire. He who promised is faithful. Unlike anyone else's word that's going to be given to you, God's is utterly faithful and will be eternal. And so build your life on the promises of God. Don't settle for a cheap religious ripoff of what the promises are. Don't wander Berean and just catch kind of the quote-unquote good promises. You catch the whole counsel of God. Don't settle for you know kind of crackerjack little phrases, cute phrases that you've heard that may or may not even be scripture and maybe yanked so far out of context they don't even mean anything to you anymore. You build your life on the promises of God. Not one of them will fail. We've already decided who we're going to follow. If it's the Lord your God, find out His promises and live by them. You can follow wholeheartedly because the Lord is with us as He was with our fathers. I love this prayer. Again, calling out God to, to just stay true to His promise. Lord, be with us as you were with our forefathers. We've heard the stories. We've walked by the monuments next to the Red Sea. We know what you did. Save us once again. Be with us. We have the same promise. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I'm coming back for you. Build your life. Build your emotion. Build your, your status on those promises. Those are huge, Christian. Don't overlook those. Thirdly, he inclines our hearts to him. He maintains our cars, cause. We're partners with him, but we follow. We never get to lead in this process. So we're constantly checking in with our chief shepherd, aren't we? Lord, I need a touch from you today. I need this word to become real to me. It's becoming stagnant. God, I'm fighting to, to, to see where you're leading me in this. Incline my heart to you. Finally, he's shown us how to follow wholeheartedly. Listen to what, uh, what is qualified as what it means to be wholly true to the Lord our God. Here it is. Walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments. Does walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments... Make you righteous before the righteous judge? Absolutely not. That leads to religion and that leads to death every single time. You miss step one of a born again, new created heart, you're in trouble. You see how this all gets screwed up if you miss step one. However, as a new creature in Christ, how do you know your heart is wholly His? You walk in His ways, you keep His commandments. Um... What is the test to see if my heart is wholly true this morning? If you're sitting here and you wonder, I don't know if my heart is wholly true. I'm glad you're wondering that. That's a good thing to wonder. Some of the more prideful of us might, of course, assume my heart is wholly yours, Lord. We can assume that wrongly for 25 years, show up on Judgment Day, and he'll say, depart from me. I, never even, I don't even know who you are. You're not part of the family. Walk in his ways... Obey his statutes, rules, and commands. Jesus seemed to equate the word obey with the word love. And let me rapid fire some verses to you. Just kind of soak in these for a minute. John 14, 15, in the context of Jesus promising the Holy Spirit that will come and fill you with new desires, a new way of seeing the world, a new passion 
a new goal and purpose for your life and a new hope, said this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John 14, 24, He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. 1 John 2, 5, But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. But what if my heart condemns me? What if other people tell me I'm not? What's your life telling you? Your track record speaks for itself. God begins to do a work in you and you find yourself doing things you just didn't do before. And guess what? That process goes on and on, year after year. It's not something that really ever stops. Here's some distinctives of a disciple, though. 1 John 5, 3 says this. If uh, uh, This is love for God to obey His commands. Pretty simple verse to memorize. Pretty convicting verse to memorize. And His commands are not burdensome. You know what one of the distinctives of a Christian is? One who's born again? To do God's work becomes like food to you. You're energized by it. I just got a nod from a brother that I can say wholeheartedly, yeah, that's, that's his life. I love it. People go, oh, poor you, you're the junior high pastor, you're out all the time, you're with people late, you're always giving, you're always pouring out. I go, man, you just don't really get it. I love to do this. It really is. It's like food to me to get to do this. Every day, no, that's a fairy tale. But walking in the Lord's ways become a joy to you. Some days you find yourself, you go, Lord, where else am I supposed to go? You alone have the words of life. I have to obey. I have to just do this. I'm scared to death. I can't see how this ties together. I think you've got the wrong guy or gal. But I'm going to do it. You know why? Because the sun came up yesterday. I think it's going to come up tomorrow. And because you acted in my life yesterday and the day before that and the day before that, I trust that it's going to work out here. God, come through on your promise. You better uphold my cause because I'm not doing such a good job of it right now. Man, that becomes like food to you. Here's another distinctive. Matthew 5, 19. Jesus talking, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Here's the question for you and I. Are we relaxing the commandments, the statutes of God? Even just a little. Worse yet, are we getting other people on our bandwagon and saying, hey, let me teach you the way of, of, of life. It's to kind of ease off on this one. Don't get too crazy here. Some Christians go really nuts. Don't do that. Are we relaxing the commandments, the statutes, the thing that God said, look, here's the pathway to life. Walk in it. It's a narrow road. Not many people are on it. But you follow me. The distinctive of a Christian is that it's not burdensome to follow the Lord. It's not burdensome to keep these commandments. We don't do that with drudgery. We've come to know a good father and we say, Lord, I'm going to do it, even though it's hard. And we look to keep it wholeheartedly. We, we look for the nuance. We, we go, I want to get to the heart of this. I don't want to trust just what the pastor says. I don't want to trust what this book says. I don't want to just draw the conclusions that this guy on the podcast says. God, you've given me the light of your Holy Spirit. I want to live this out wholeheartedly. Not rise to a level and then relax a little bit. We live in a challenging place for that. It's an easy place to kind of coast as a Christian, isn't it? This day and age in America, wealth, prosperity, not being persecuted for being a Christian yet. Kind of an easy place to relax on these. Here are some commands, uh, demands that we've gone over that, that, that talk about follow whole, following wholeheartedly. Joyful always. Love like Jesus. Love like Jesus set up this. Love your neighbor and love your enemy. Serve in unity. Be fruitful and multiply. Obey your parents. Pass it on. Preach in all weather. Influence your world. Those were just some of the demands that we looked at. Here's the third thing I want to share with you this morning, and that is this. Stop trying. That ought to be really uh, good news for some of you. Some of you have been, who have been raised in a law environment, and you've soaked in that so long that that's your natural impulse, 
is to earn and work for grace. Stop trying is great news. I want you to turn your Bible to Galatians, Galatians 3. And in Galatians 3, we see, um, we see some just profound truth. Look at verses 1 to 5 with me. While we have this up here, stop trying. I just want to kind of put you on one side of the camp. Are you trying or are you trusting this morning? Am I going to try harder or am I going to grow in my trust of God? Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says this. You foolish Galatians. Insert your name there if this applies, okay? I'll just leave it at that. Who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Two options there. Work or grace? Was it a gift or was it payment? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you have heard? Let me stop there for a moment. Key part of this all, and this is our question for us. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And after beginning with the Spirit, are you now going to try to attain completion, perfection, righteousness by your own human flesh? Here's my challenge at the end of demanding, which I started at the very beginning of the demanding series, and that is this. If we turn into people who say this, I'm more joyful than so-and-so. I have a greater concern for the lost than so-and-so. I obey my parents. I do this. Whatever your thing is. Have you not become those who Jesus comes along and says, you're whitewashed tombs. I stood next to my nephew and we're looking at this beautiful box, decorative box. And I said to him, I said, he's a sophomore in high school, I said, kind of a raw deal that all you end up with is kind of a lousy box at the end of everything, huh? I mean, it's this beautiful box and look where it's going. I mean, we can see right beyond it is six feet under. It's just going to end up down there. It's going to rot away. Worms are going to kind of chew their way into it and hang out. That's it. Whitewashed tombs is what Jesus called people who tried to to get the Spirit of God, keep the Spirit of God, work for God by the flesh. So let me just tell you to stop trying if by trying it means this, balancing the scales. I've had a bad week. I better get trying to kind of level things out. I want you to stop serving God if, if that means that you're earning grace. Earning grace ought to trigger in your mind That's a complete oxymoron. That makes no sense. The second you earn grace, it's not grace. You have to change the word. It's compensation. It's payment. If you're motivated by law-keeping, stop serving God. Quit your ministry today. We'll deal with it. We'll fill the gap. We'll fill the hole. Don't do it to earn things. And stop serving God if you don't know God. The psalmist says this, cease striving. And what? You know it. Know that I am God. You may be detrimental to your eternal destiny because you've been so busy at church. That's a weird thought. Cease striving and know that I am God. Let me go on with Galatians. Look at, look at verse 10. Jump down to verse 10 for a second. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who... Uh, who is hung on a tree. It's actually a slap in the face to the gospel, and it's a demonstration that you don't really believe in the power of the gospel to try to earn favor with God. 
So as we look back on demanding, as we walk forward in this demanding Christian life, let's do it by the Spirit. Let's walk in grace and walk in faith. I love the way Hebrews 11 paints this picture. Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith chapter where all these different names are brought up. Remember that? Here's the idea of that. They were commanded certain things. They were commanded rules, regulations, and statutes to walk in. They walked in them, and then they were commended. Beautiful picture. You're commanded, and then you're commended. And the only thing kind of linking that is whether you obeyed or not. And Jesus, like I said, ties this obedience and love idea together. All obeyed and were counted as righteous. Verse 39 says this, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. In other words, there was an element at the end of things that they were waiting for and seeking for. They were living with the end in mind. I want to say uh, out loud today kind of a benediction. I want to have everyone stand up right now. In your bulletin is 1 Peter 4, uh, verses 7 to uh, 11. And I want to just read this out loud together um, as a way of kind of... uh, dismissing us uh, almost from this series even and kind of wrapping it up and um, and and uh, we'll just we'll just kind of uh, offer this up so first Peter 4 7 let's read it out loud the end of all things is near therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray above all love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Man, that would be a great personal or family evening devotion to look back through again this week. There's so much loaded in there. What I want you to walk away with this morning is the very opening words of that. The end of all things is near. Live your life with the end in mind. Um, I'm going to invite the band up in just a second, and we're going to kind of uh, we're going to kind of wrap things up this morning. But we've, we've we've thrown out some immediate response kinds of things. Last week during the service, uh, Rich Henderson uh, preached a message on service and provided an immediate um, action point. One of those was to go and, and be a part of this international student welcome uh, dinner that we did. And it was so awesome just to see we had a, a good crew of ten or more from NBC that showed up to serve. Um, I think I, I talked to the faculty. There were 400 students this year. That was our largest one yet, um, and uh, and we just had an incredible time getting to be there and interact with students and and love on the foreigner. That's one of the that's one of the things God has commanded us to do. Um, the neighborhood workabout, which is something that's coming up this coming Saturday. Uh, is upon us. And Saturday, August 28th, uh, we're going to be here at 8.30 in the morning. We're going to spend a couple of minutes in prayer. We're going to disperse out to our teams. There's about five local neighbors that have uh, provided needs. They have a deadline of tomorrow to, to get needs to us. Here's where some needs still occur. Even if you can't make August 28th, by the way, the work time is going to be roughly 9 o'clock till 12.30. We're trying to fit these in three and a half hour span. And then we're going to meet back up here for a barbecue. About 500 of our closest neighbors have been given the opportunity to, to submit needs to the church that we're going to get to go meet. Um, we do have some reconnaissance, which sounds very cool and very hip. Uh, you could dress in all black if you want and use a laser. Uh, but we have some recon missions that it would be very weird. Don't do that. We have some recon missions that um, you're going to go out to these homes in advance. And if someone says, I have light yard work, and they actually have insanely heavy yard work, we need to know that. So you're going to go and just kind of meet with them and see specifically what um, you know what heavy housework means. Maybe it means to vacuum two rooms. You're like, man, we could bust this out in you know half an hour. So we're going to do some some recon uh, this week. We need about five or six um, people to go and do that uh, throughout this week. Um, a second part of that is this. There's a barbecue happening afterwards. If you want to help out with that, uh, Rich Henderson is going to be in the back 
uh, with some sign-up sheets and all that. We need your name so we know who all is going to be here. Uh, we do need help with this. This is going to be the start of something we want to do about twice a year. We want to become known in the neighborhood. Oh, this is that neighborhood workabout. And so we just, uh, we, we, we've been saving this need of this lady down the street that we met that's lonely and uh, whatever. We have a need for you. And so we saved it up and we're going we're to give it to you. Um, Clink, why don't you come on up here for a second. Something else that we've been praying on, cooking on, and um, feeling the Lord's leading on is, um, is that uh, this coming Saturday, we are actually breaking ground on um, working on a garden in our backyard. Uh, we have a ton of land back there. Sometime you ought to prayer walk the perimeter of our property and realize God has blessed us with a ton of land back there. Right now, praise God, we get to use about a third of it for parking. And we need that. And we'd love to use more and more of that as we grow. However, we felt convinced that we, we shouldn't just um, leave that garden alone or leave that plot of land alone. And so what we've been praying on and chewing on and whatnot is to eventually have a garden there where we will uh, be seeking to um, help particularly lower-income families or single moms struggling to make it, whatever else, grow uh, some food. And we've been at this for months now with behind the scenes and some different things. And this Saturday, we're actually going to go and we're going to start kind of a pilot uh program, if you will. There's going to be about five to ten boxes back there that are going to be sponsored by uh, people within the church just to kind of get this thing off the ground. Um, and then probably six months, eight months, a year out is going to be going public with this and actually reaching out to our community and whatnot. The whole overarching uh, vision of this is this idea of share. Worship, community, and share. This is not for us to grow the best peppers and best you know, tomatoes for our salsa. That's, that's where churches get it wrong. They, they build things and then they keep it themselves. This is instead just to envision yourself having a, a free farmer's market where we're just here to, to, to bless the neighborhood with fresh uh, uh, produce. This picture of this being a place of health, not just spiritual health, but we're concerned with the whole person. And so come and eat healthy. Lay down the McNuggets. Pick up a cucumber. That's kind of the idea. Um, I brought Clink up here because um, one of the things that we knew, uh, the elders said to me, they said, Dave, you can't do this. You're, we're not allowing you to go do this on your own. God needs to raise up leaders and a team for this. And, and by God's grace, several of you in this room have bought into this and are praying about this and are pulling in the same direction and are some of our pilot box sponsors. Um, but I really needed someone who, who would own this vision and catch it. And God's really raised up Clink. I'm going to ask Clink as the band makes their way up to just offer kind of a a prayer as a committal for this garden project and for our neighborhood workabout on Saturday. Um, please come find out more about it. Clink's going to put his guitar down soon after the service, and you can meander around up here and ask him questions and find out more about it and all kinds of stuff like that. But be in prayer for it as we kind of as we kind of think this through. Would you just pray? We have no mic. Um, so you just pray real loud and uh, ask God's uh, favor and committal on that. Thank you for praying. Father in heaven, you are so awesome to us, so allow us to be here and to be your hands and feet. And Lord, we want to be good stewards with the abundance that you've given us, Lord. We want to be able to touch those needs around us. God, we want it to be our garden and our walkabout and our workabout. God, we just want it to be something that just shows our neighbors that this is not a place for the select few. This is a place where you can come, you can grow, you can learn. And as we start this garden project and as we're doing our work about Lord, we just pray that number one thing is that you would be glorified with any good works that we are going to do, Lord. They would be for your Lord, and they would point to you. This is a time of sharing, this is a time of meeting, truly. But ultimately, Lord, if one person comes to you and hears the gospel, Lord, if any of our struggles, any of our pain, any of our striving will be worth it. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be a part of this, Lord. We ask that your hand would be on this.